I'm just telling you, the body of Christ is the best kept secret on planet Earth. And as Andrew's going to share this morning, in fact, I'm just telling you, I'm getting smart in my old age. I thought, you know what? Aaron did such a great job last week in my absence. Praise God for a good associate pastor like Aaron. Uh, and, uh, and I thought, you know what? I'm getting in late from being overseas and being on an airplane for, for a day. Uh, I'm going to be smart in my old age, and I'm going to have another great spiritual son share the word this morning. So, uh, Andrew, get yourself up here and give him a hand. Um, But uh, this message is huge, and I want us to, today, I want you to hear my heart today. Of course, it's going to come through Andrew, because he has my heart, but uh, and does such a great job. But this message today is huge, and I, I just want you to hear our heart at Living Stones. Relationships take time. Sometimes relationships take work. Sometimes relationships are messy. But I just want to encourage you, please don't quit. If you're new here, our heart is that we get to know you. In fact, right after service, come see me. We got to connect this morning with some new folks at Living Stones. We have a lot of amazingly loving people here, uh, and you don't have to go through life alone, all right? We want you to get deeply connected to God's people uh, so that there is a lifeline of grace for you when you have your time of need. So are you, we got you on and ready, or are you going to go by? All right. You know, one reason I, <clears throat> I'm, I'm excited about sharing this message because um, I had such a hard time. I, I had such a hard time connecting with people. Um, you know, the best teacher are those people who are not that smart. Have you guys ever heard that before? Like the smart teacher, the really smart people are terrible teachers because they just get it. And they're like, why can't you get it? What, like, what's wrong with you? It's like Michael Jordan is like the worst coach ever because he'd just be like, just dunk the ball. What's wrong with you? Like, teach me something. Just do it. Um, but the best teachers are the people who had to learn the hard way, right? They make many mistakes. They fall a bunch of times and they're like, I know exactly what you're doing wrong there. Cause I did that many times. You know, I excited about this message because I had a hard time connecting with people throughout my whole entire life. Um, uh, when I first came to crown point, um, the only family I knew was pastor Ron's family. I didn't know anybody else. Um, I had a hard time connecting with people. Um, for months and months and months and learning a lot of it is really what's inside my heart. But again, just the mistakes I made. So anyway, I'm, ex- I'm excited about this message. Um, just understanding the power, the grace involved in biblical fellowship. You know, for me, I feel like part of spiritual maturity is really coming to the realization that, uh, number one, we desperately need <clears throat> godly fellowship, um, to live a life that's full of peace, joy, and meaning. And number two, that there is a building craving inside of us that we crave godly fellowship because we, because we crave a community that will encourage us, cry with us, laugh with us, correct correct us, and share life with us. Now, I'm going to outline my message through two different perspectives. The first perspective is that you need godly fellowship. So I'm, I'm dressing it through a more vision-based, appealing to your reason and your logic. And number two, the second perspective is that you want it. Uh, I'm appealing to your experience and to your emotions. Okay, so the first perspective, you need godly fellowship. Now, before we even get going on why you need godly fellowship, I need to define fellowship. Now, the problem in our culture today is we throw words out there with your own definition of it. I got my own definition, you got your own definition, and we're just talking over each other. You know, people throw the word love out there all the time, you know. And he's just like, what do you mean by love? Because something I do, I think is loving, you think is hate. So we got our own definition of love, and then we're just talking over each other. So we got to define fellowship first. So the definition of fellowship, um, in New Testament, the Greek word is koinonia, 
which signifies having a share in something or sharing with someone, or you could say participating in something with someone. So for me, the type of fellowship is really dependent on what is actually being shared and what is actually being communed, okay? Um, that really determines the type of fellowship. And not all sharing and not all fellowship are the same, okay? For example, a fellowship that's based on the sharing of pizza is very different from a fellowship that's based on the sharing of the blood of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? You know, Pastor Ron was talking about the epidemic of loneliness, Not, I believe not just in Britain, but in many developed nations. Um, it's interesting because in many ways, we're sharing things more than ever, right? What are kids doing all day on their phones? They're sharing the share. There's a share button in your phone, right? We're sharing pictures. We're sharing Facebook. We're sharing whatever. We're sharing things all the time. But that doesn't mean that we're all having godly fellowship. Just because you're sharing something doesn't mean that there's koinonia Christian fellowship. Okay, does that make sense? We could be sharing this all the time, and there's no sense of real community. There's no sense of intimacy. What you share is it determines that level of fellowship. Now, when I grew up, when we use the word fellowship, you know what that means to me? It means the church potluck. It's, today, this week, is a week for fellowship. That means we all bring foods. Oh, man, we're doing fellowship this week. Okay, so I got to cook something, or I got to bring something, and so forth. That's what I thought in terms of uh, fellowship. Now, I'm not saying a church potluck cannot be part of Christian fellowship, but it's not even close to describing the full picture of Christian fellowship. Now, what you what you share is just simply food. That's not Christian fellowship. That could be part of it, but that can't be a whole picture. I'm saying all that is because just a bunch of Christians hanging out together doesn't mean you have godly fellowship. It's just a bunch of Christians hanging out together. Does that make sense? A closer picture of biblical fellowship is probably more related to J.R.R. Tolkien's Fellowship of the Ring. You guys know what I'm talking about, Lord of the Ring, right? It's like spoiler alert, right? But the movie's been 15 years old, so if you haven't seen it, too bad. Go see the movie. Right? I mean, if you've seen the movie, I'm sorry. I, I can't describe the movie for you. Just go see it. It just came out on Netflix. Um, it's funny. I was talking about this movie. I saw it the other day. It just popped up. I'm like, I'm going to watch the movie again. I didn't have two and a half hours to go watch it. But what is the Fellowship of the Ring? Okay? It's a group elite team with common purpose, risking their life for a cause greater than themselves. It's not exactly the same, but I think there's some parallels. I feel like when Tolkien wrote that book, you know, he's coming off World War I, so he understood fellowship. He understand that the concept that I, the, the fellowship is talking about in the Bible. So he used the word fellowship in describing this group of people, right? So look at this group of people. They are, they don't have the same background or ethnicity. You got some dwarves, you got some elves, you got some hobbits, you got some humans. Um, they don't even initially like each other. But look at what they share. They share a common mission. That mission was greater than themselves. They each had a part to play in the mission, so no one was a freeloader. There was unity in their diversity, and as they continued their mission, they grew in their camaraderie. There was love and sacrifice as well as loyalty. They relied on each other for strength when it was them against the world. So the question for you is, have you ever been this type of fellowship before? And an even more important question, I think, is how many of you actually want to be, have, take part in this type of fellowship? This is where I make the point that biblical fellowship does not happen by accident. It is a spiritual discipline. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 to 25, 
the writer of Hebrews says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as in the matter of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as we see the day approaching. You see, it is intentional. You have to be intentional to be in part of the godly gathering. In fact, if you don't work at it, if you don't make it a priority, if you don't make it intentional, you may forsake the fellowship just like many people did in the early church. That's why he wrote that. It is a spiritual discipline. Now, we see reading the scripture as a spiritual discipline. We see um, praying as a spiritual discipline. But do we see putting ourselves in the place of healthy, godly community as training for godliness? That means that this is not supposed to be easy. See, the problem is we think fellowship is supposed to come naturally or is supposed to come easily. So when we go and when we try to join a group and we don't always fit in, and it's kind of weird to share and their awkwardness and so forth, we just say, you know what, never mind, I'm not going to do this. We don't set the proper expectation that this is supposed to be a spiritual discipline. Like all discipline, there will be times when you don't feel like going to fellowship. Just ask any life group leader. Okay, I told this joke, it kind of flopped in first service, but I'm going to tell it again because I'm persevering. So uh, the man said to his wife, uh, do I have to go to the life group tonight? She says, yes, honey, you need to go to the life group. If you don't go, people will ask me all day long why the bedroom door is always closed. You get it? Ha, ha, ha. That's a conversation me and my wife have all the time. You know the feeling. I mean, just talk to any life group. Right, Armour? You know what I'm talking about. Before life group, you know, the day of life group, you know, all hell breaks loose at work. Your kids aren't listening, you know, uh, kids are peeing and pooping everywhere. And, and you're exhausted. And before even the first person come, you're just like, oh, my goodness, I'm about to die. And I remember a couple of weeks ago, I don't remember, I remember who came to our house. Someone came, the first person came. I was sitting in cows. They said, you look really tired, huh? I was like, oh, it's that obvious on my face. I mean, I feel terrible. I was like, I don't feel like a very good host right now because I don't even have energy to get up. But that's the battle you face. But, you know, then people start coming. You start building momentum. You start feeling encouragement from each other. You start worshiping. And when, you know, when the worship starts in life, you're like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm getting my gears going. And then you meet, you have fellowship, you have a great, you know, discussion. We pray for one another. Next thing you know, you're like, this is the best thing ever. When people leave, you're like on a spiritual high. But guess what? Next week, it starts all over again. We, we, we call it Fight Friday. That's what we call it. We, we call it Fight Fridays. Because every Friday, I get the text from my wife when my work saying, oh, this, we're fighting, we're pushing in. But that's the picture of what life, what pushing for fellowship is supposed to be like. It takes work to get into each other's lives. It takes work to be transparent. It takes work to confront, to challenge, to correct one another. You have to build that environment. Like all spiritual discipline, you have to make sacrifices. You have to build routines in your life to be inconvenienced. You have to practice, practice, practice. Let's not believe in the lie that godly fellowship is supposed to be easy. Now, I want to let the scripture define Christian or godly fellowship. Um, I'm going to list five things. I have scripture underneath it. I'm not going to read all the scripture. You can read it yourself. But I want to quickly go over the basic five characteristics of, of, of godly Christian fellowship. Number one, before we, sh- we share fellowship with other people, we need to first share fellowship with Christ. Okay. As we share fellowship with Christ, out of that natural sharing with Christ, then we share fellowship with one another. Number two, because we share fellowship with Christ, we share fellowship with each other through his blood and through his mission. Okay? The scripture says we're connected in body. Now we're connected. We're one body, and we share in the common cause for this mission. 
Number three, godly fellowship means that we're in covenant with one another. We're not in contract. We're in covenant with one another. We actively depend on each other. We lay our lives down for each other. We encourage each other. We remain loyal to each other. Loyalty, key word. Number four, this fellowship, as we'll talk about a little bit later, every fellowship is vision-driven, but particularly this. Our fellowship is one that's vision-driven. We all have a unique gift and a role to play. No one is sitting on the bench, okay? It's not a spectator sport. And number five, we share our lives with each other. There's true transparency and intimacy in this fellowship. This fellowship, this fellowship, this kingdom fellowship is not a functional fellowship. We're not just getting together to get a job done and we just go our own way, okay? There's real emotions. There's real um, chemistry, okay? Um, I am going to read this verse, First Thessalonians um, chapter 2. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we care for you. Because we love you so much, we're delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Sharing lives is not easy. It's not convenient. It doesn't come naturally, not at least for me. I have to learn it. I have to watch it. I have to be intentional. I have to plan it. That's what it means to share lives. So those are the five characteristics that define, that put the structure around godly fellowship. Without that structure, I can't really talk about fellowship because my idea of fellowship is different from your idea of fellowship. So let's not go with our idea. Let's go with God's idea of fellowship. Having identified and defined fellowship, we can talk about the reason why we need godly fellowship. And I'm really excited about these five reasons. The first reason, your fellowship will dictate the trajectory of your life. One part of that is because by, by definition, by nature, every fellowship has a vision, okay? Think about some of the fellowship you're part of. Your softball league, that's a fellowship, right? What's the vision for your softball league, okay? To win the championship, or at least it should be. Your bowling league, to win, to play bowl, to go bowling together and so forth. Even your vision, um, even if your fellowship, that's based around people sitting around playing video games. I was part of that fellowship for many years of my life, um, has a vision. You know what the vision is? To sit around and play video games. I'm not saying it's a good vision. I'm saying at least it is a vision. So it's important for us to, to consider that and say, you know what? This is the vision of this fellowship I'm part of coincide with my vision. Do I want that vision for my own life? We need godly fellowship because we need to elevate our own spiritual trajectory. We need to set a vision for our own spiritual life. Now, the second, probably more subtle, but even more important reason we need godly fellowship it's because your fellowship will inevitably affect your character. And your character has a greater impact on your trajectory of your life than anything else. Look at some of these verses in Proverbs. He who walks with the wise grow wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. Proverbs 22. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with one easily anger, or you may learn his ways and get yourself in snare. Proverbs chapter 12. A righteous man is cautious in friendship, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. See, I have suffered from good fellowship and bad fellowship before. I've learned throughout the years that wisdom is not making yourself fight against the tide of the current fellowship you're in. Instead, wisdom is choosing the fellowship you want to be part of, knowing that you can't help but be influenced by it. I work at the alternative school. I'm a teacher. My parents call me up all the time, and they say, you know, my son or my daughter is struggling with this. Um, they, 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 I can't get them to work. You know, they're getting involved in things they shouldn't get involved in. What should I do? What should I do? And my question, my first question to them is always this. 
how well do you know the friends they're part of? How well do you know their community? How, know, how well do you know your kids' fellowship? I don't use the word fellowship, but the group of people they're surrounding themselves with. The reason is this. The one or two hours you spend with your kids, okay, I'm talking about high school kids here, or the two to three hours I spend with my students, okay, it doesn't matter how they perform with me. It doesn't matter what they say to me. It's going to be completely negated if they're part of a bad fellowship. Does that, does that make sense? They hang out with me, and they say all the right things. They work hard. I'm like, you got to get your act together. Yeah, yeah, you're right, Mr. May. You're right, you're right. And then go off to hang out with the friends, and everything's completely deleted. Because their fellowship is going to dictate their character. Your inner circle is going to dictate your character. So don't try to be a martyr. People try to be a martyr sometimes. They just come and complain and be like, yeah, my group of friends, they're always doing these things. And I just, every day I'm fighting against not doing these things. Well, don't be part of that fellowship. Don't fight the battle you can't win. That's not wisdom. Wisdom is choosing the right circle you want to be part of. You can't choose who who you're supposed to be around day in, day out. You know, people pay good money to be part of exclusive fellowship for that very principle. People pay money to be part of weight loss clubs so they can encourage each other, send texts to each other, and, and read blogs of each other to hear, to get encouragement and say, hey, you know, you're doing well, you're losing weight. Or people, I heard people being part of this Christian business societies in which they encourage each other, they give each other hints. Again, they're utilizing the principle of fellowship. They're rubbing shoulder with these people because they want to be like them. Now we, as the church of Jesus Christ, belong to the most expensive, least exclusive fellowship of all. Think about it. We're most expensive because we're bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. We're least exclusive because everybody's welcome. We're part of this powerful fellowship. However, we overlook this power of fellowship. Whereas people in the world understand it and pursue that. Whereas we, who, are, who, who should have the best fellowship, overlook this. So, the f- number one reason why when you got godly kingdom fellowship is because it will affect the trajectory of our life. Number two, second reason why um, godly fellowship is so important is because within godly fellowship naturally flows the gift of discipleship. See, I'm afraid in our culture today, even in our church culture, has let the devil steal the gift of discipleship from us. You know, I, I just I look over different places. We're beginning to see discipleship through a negative thing. We're letting the world kind of tell the narrative on discipleship. Discipleship is often associated with a power trip, control, manipulation, or cultic-like. We cannot let the enemy steal the gift of discipleship from us. And I want to remind you, Jesus' last commandment was not to gather the biggest crowd on Sunday morning. Rather, it is to make disciples of all nations and teaching them to obey. You know why discipleship is a gift? Say you want to start a business. You have no experience. You have no idea what to do. And someone comes along and says, you know what, let me help you. Let me give you all my, I've done this for 50 years. I have all these experience. I'm going to show you all the mistakes I made along the way so you don't have to go through all the pain, all the loss I went through. Wouldn't you receive that as a gift? You would totally see that as a gift. You'd be like, thank God for you. Please help me. Please give me all your experience. We understand that in, in the context of our career or business. What about some of the other most important things of our lives, such as how we treat our wives? How do you train up your kids? How do you live a life pleasing to God? In those contexts, we have a hard time seeing discipleship. This is the grace of discipleship. is to help you go further 
than the generation before you? How do we get higher and better generation by generation if we got to learn the same lessons over and over and over again, right? How do we get better? It's because we learn the lessons, we pass the lessons down so my kids don't have to learn the same stinking lessons I had to learn, same mistakes I have to make. That's the whole concept. That's the grace and the gift of discipleship. Who's going to encourage you when you're frustrated? Your, your mentor. Who's going to save you from heartaches by showing you the, the right way to do things? Your mentor. So why do we reject discipleship? Why are so few people submitted under discipleship? I'll tell you why. It's because we don't want people to tell us what to do. So, to make it simple for you, for those who don't know what discipleship looks like, and I quote a Second Timothy 2, too, and the things you have heard me say, this is Paul talking to Timothy, say in the presence of many witnesses entrusted to reliable people who will be also qualified to teach others. Paul is setting the model for discipleship here. Paul is saying, I, as I've discipled you, Timothy, you need to disciple someone else. But when you're training someone else, that person needs to be trained to teach someone else. There's four generations in there. And I put this little cool picture of three circles on there. I drew the circles myself so you can see it's not quite circular. Um, didn't have a lot of time. Um, but I use circles here to represent a couple different things. So you, you will be the guy in the middle, okay? So you got a circle to your left or to your right, whatever, who is a little bit ahead of you in a certain area. So that person is mentoring or discipling you in this aspect. And then on the other side, you have someone who's a little behind on a certain area of your life who you are mentoring and you are discipling. That's it. That's discipleship. That's mentoring. It's not rocket science. It's not super complicated. You don't have to be perfect to disciple somebody. You simply need to be moving and a step ahead of the person who you're mentoring. I use the illustration of the rings overlapping because I want to give you a picture of this is how your life should overlap. The people who you're discipling, the people who are discipled by you, they are part of your godly fellowship. You know, I also use the overlapping circle because life is shared both ways. Many times the discipleship roles can switch. Okay, I'll give you a practical example. Sean McPhil is my house. I'm like 12 years older than him. He and I are wired the same way. The things that makes him mad makes me mad. Things I like, he likes. We get the same idea. So you know what? We Many things in life, because I'm older, I'm married, I'm able to kind of show him, hey, you know what? I made that mistake before. You know, in many ways, I mentor him. But in so many other ways, he mentors me. He tells me how to teach me how to clean my gun. He teaches me how to fix my furnace. He helps me work out and get in shape. This is what it's supposed to look like, okay? On one end, hey, hey, let me teach you something. I'm better. I'm more experienced than this. And then something else comes along. I position myself from a mentor to a disciple. There's no ego there. There's no like, I'm the disciple maker. You're my disciple. Bow before me. It's not like that at all. It's simply, hey, you know what? Let me share with you my experience on this. And then, and then something else happened. I submit myself to his leadership and say, hey, you know, teach me about this thing about real estate. I submit myself to you. Teach me. I, I position myself in a place to receive. That's godly. That's kingdom. Because it's not about ego. It's not about us. It's about receiving. I want to learn. I mean, I'll learn from anybody. You see, what? that's what discipleship is supposed to look like. Now, you might be saying this to me. You say, I do want to disciple. I want to make disciples. But you know what? No one's following me. I have definitely been there before. To which I will ask you the question, who are you following? Who are you being mentored by? Many times the reason no one is being discipled by you is because you aren't being discipled. 
You know, discipleship is God's way to pour life and knowledge and wisdom from generation to generation. It's God's avenue to do that. Who are we to say we know better? Are you allowing yourself open to, to let God's wisdom and knowledge flow through you? Are you open to allow yourself to humble yourself, to submit to someone, to receive information, to receive wisdom and knowledge? Are you moving along? Are you on a journey? When you're on a journey, I, I know for me, I said this before, for me, I want to follow someone who's on a journey. I don't need to follow someone who's perfect. Because if someone's perfect, he can't relate to me. Okay? But I want to follow someone who has a pursuit of God. Someone who is himself being disciple. So, you know what? If you're wondering why is no one following, why I don't have a disciple, hey, make sure you're following someone. Make sure you are being disciple. Luke chapter 6, it says, A disciple is not greater than his teacher, but everyone from, when fully trained will be like his teacher. Be trained. Be fully trained so that you can train others. Discipleship doesn't happen by accident. Life gets busy. Meeting up with people gets inconvenience. But it's intentional. It has to be intentional. It's God's way. So, number two reason is because out of fellowship flows the gift of discipleship. The third reason we need to be in godly fellowship. No, i got to hurry up. Because it helps us practice the secret to joy. You didn't know that when you woke up this morning, you are going to get the secret to joy. The secret to joy is this. It's, it's all free. No charge. Self-forgetfulness. Very early in my Christian walk, I learned that a selfish Christian is a miserable Christian. When I look at the world, if all I can see is how my needs can be fulfilled, how my way needs to happen, it got to be my way, how my desire needs to be done. Again, I'm speaking from personal experience. It's not hypothetical here. I am setting myself up for some major disappointments and lots of frustration. So, how do you lose sight of your own selfishness? How do you die to yourself? My father taught me this principle a long time ago, how to forget something. So, I'm going to practice that with you guys real quick. Okay. So, think about the number three. Okay. Everyone got number three? Now, do your best to forget three. Forget that number. Just take it out of your memory so it's gone. Okay. Try really hard to not think about three anymore. Whatever you do, just don't have the number three in your mind. Okay, everyone good? You've forgotten about three? No one can think about three anymore? It doesn't work, right? The more you try to forget something, the more you remember, you regurgitate, it goes back and forth. However, let's try this. Okay, now I want you to think about number 56, 61, and 72. Focus on those three numbers. You see how quickly for us to forget something else when we put our focus on something else, something new? You guys get that principle? The same principle applies here. The key to true joy is when you lose sight of your own problems. How do you lose sight of your own problem? Number one, when you focus on the majesty and the greatness of God. When we come together and worship, that's what happens. When, I, when life group starts and we start worshiping, that's what happens. I start forgetting about my own tiredness, forgetting about my own headache, and start focusing on Jesus. But number two, it's when we focus on the needs and the hurts of those around you. And how God has uniquely gifted you to fulfill those needs. You stop becoming a victim and you start becoming empowered to be the arms and leg of Jesus. Right, Tim? A truly godly fellowship is the perfect vehicle for you to die to yourself. Why? So that you can have joy. You know why godly fellowship is so important for that? It's because if I don't know you, I'm not going to tell you what I need. Right? I'm not going to call up someone who I don't know and say, you know what? I just really struggle. I, have, I was just struggling with lust all day long today. Just these thoughts I'm fighting all day long. I don't know you, but can you just pray for me? I mean, I'm not going to do that. You know what I'm saying? 
Godly fellowship allows that avenue for me to share with my brother and say, hey, help me. These are some deep needs I have. These are real transparent needs I have. Or I'm struggling, or financially I'm struggling, or this happened, or that happened, and so forth. God gave us a vehicle for us to forget about ourselves, that is each other, in the context of godly fellowship. Philippians chapter 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, values others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Number four, godly fellowship helps you from falling away. In the Bible, over and over again, men, once they get powerful and rich, once they reach success, they change. Let me help you out here. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how much you love Jesus. I don't care... um, how talented you are, you are a terrible accounting partner for yourself. No man is going to be a great accountability partner for themselves. Now, you might be a great accountability partner for me or for someone else, but you're not going to make it for yourself. You know, I told my life group this. I said, I need to know that there's a group of men who that if I was, if I changed, if I stepped into something stupid, Okay, if I was going to hurt my family, I need that there's a group of men who loves me enough to call me out and knock some sense in me if necessary. That's not control. No man on their spare time says, you know what? I'm bored today. I'm going to go keep Andrew accountable. You know, I'm an eagle trip today. I'm going to go confront him about some sin in his life. No man does that. You don't do that just because you feel like it. You don't do it just because it's easy or it's convenient. You do that because you love them deeply. We need men in our lives like that. Godly fellowship gives us that context. Hebrews chapter 3. Um, is that verse up there? Yeah, you guys can read it yourself. Four reasons. I'm trying to speed up here. Four reasons, refresher, why you need godly fellowship. Okay? Number one, okay? And godly fellowship determines the tra- trajectory of your life. Number two, it flows discipleship. Number three, you practice the the art of joy, which is self-forgiveness, and number four, it keeps you from falling away. So now I want to talk about the other side, the emotional side. For those people who thrive on experience and emotions, I got you too. You crave godly fellowship. We were made for deep, intimate fellowship with one another. If you don't sense that there's a deep, innate desire for genuine connection with other people, with godly connection with other people inside your heart, then I believe there's something missing in your heart. I want to address that. Why don't people crave crave godly fellowship well first reason i think it's very simple is they just don't know how it's a common reason why people have abandoned godly fellowship they don't know how to relate to other people in the group they tried it was uncomfortable it doesn't come naturally to them they don't know how to be transparent they don't know how to connect this is when and again that was me and this is when again i want to emphasize that fellowship is not supposed to be easy it's a spiritual discipline you know if my son came up to me when my son comes of age you know if he comes up to me, he says, you know what, I went to youth one time, and I just didn't really feel like I connect. So, you know, I'm not going to go again. I am not going to say, you know, son, you gave your best shot, and we're done. I'm going to be like, no, you are going to go back to youth. If it's not happening, I'll talk with Pastor Aaron. We'll figure out. You are going to get connected with godly fellowship. Isn't that right? Isn't that real? Because I understand how important it is for my son to have a great fellowship around him. How much more for myself? You know, I remember when I first came to uh, Crown Point 10 years ago, uh, when I was living in Pastor Ron's basement, and he sent me to uh, Lonnie Dyer's life group. I'll be honest. The first two or three months when I went to that life group, I remember sitting in the circle just being miserable. 
I didn't know anyone. I didn't know how to connect. I didn't want to connect. Now, looking back, I realized the issue was all in my heart. But I didn't know at that moment. I just knew that I was not connecting. I sat in a circle week after week, just not connecting. Now, fast forward 10 years later, some of my best friends in my life are from that circle. That's just the reality of things. Sometimes you just got to push. You just got to go for it. You grind it out. You say, you know what? I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going because something's going to pop. Something's going to change. I am going to learn to connect. I'm going to learn about these guys and so forth. That's just the reality. I have nothing else to say. I don't know what you do. Is this important? You got to go for it. If you don't feel good, I've been there. Keep going after it. Keep trying to connect. The other reason why people have a hard time feeling the craving for godly fellowship is very simple. People have been hurt from past relationships. Now, this is kind of a tough one, but at the same time, I want to ask you a question. How many of you here, raise your hand, have been hurt by other Christians? Second question is, how many of you out there have hurt other Christians? No, I don't really know anyone who hasn't been hurt by other Christians. And I don't really know anyone who hasn't hurt other Christians. We are imperfect. We have flaws. We become self-centered. And, you know, sometimes people are hurt not even because of sin. People just get hurt because people move away. You know what I'm saying? God's called someone to go away. Okay, it didn't feel great, but you know what? It happens. However, I have learned very quickly that Christians should not be known for our aversion to pain, but rather by, our, number one, our ability to forgive, but number two, our ability to, to keep our hearts sensitive in the midst of hurts. I remember one time when I was super hurt by uh, a another believer and so forth. And I was, you know, when you hurt, this is what you say to yourself, I never want to feel that way again, right? I'm not letting that happen again. I was just about to make that inner vow. I felt the Lord said this to me. He quote Ezekiel to, to me. He said, Jesus came so you can have a heart of flesh and not a heart of stone. And what he basically says is, when you became a Christian, you have lost your right to have a callous heart. You are not, you don't have the right to desensitize yourself. And, and okay, look, I cry foul. I was like, so what you're saying is I got to be hurt over and over and over and over again and just kind of suck it up and take it? And this is what he said to me. He's so good. He says, why do you think I gave you the comfort of the Holy Spirit? I remember at that moment that I realized I don't have the right to guard, to have a hard heart anymore. We're supposed to guard our heart, but not to desensitize our heart. I don't get to use the excuse, I don't want to get hurt again. In fact, as a Christian, again, we should not be known by our aversion to pain, but rather by our ability to bounce back and heal and be more loving than ever. Only Christians have the supernatural, the superhumans. Yes, we are superhumans. We have superhuman abilities. Like, man, what's your superpower? Well, I can jump real high. I can run real fast. What's your superhuman uh, power, Christian? I have the power to heal from hurts quicker and be more loving every single time because I got the Holy Spirit. And that's really neat to be our perspective on this. And I'll give you a great example. I'll give you a great example. I'm going to use Ashley Rowe. I didn't even ask her about this because I know she won't let me, so I'm going to call her out anyway. Where's Ashley? She's somewhere. First service. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> you guys know Ashley Rowe. We love her. She's been living with us. Um, she's, she's here with us just short term before she heads off to the mission field again. You know, many people in position, in her position, knowing that she's leaving soon, you know what they're going to do? They say, hey, you know what? I'm here for short terms. 
I don't really want to get involved. I don't really want to connect with people. I just want to, you know, do my thing and get ready for the mission field. And I, I get that completely. But you know what? What she said to, to Debbie, I overheard, I eavesdropped. I overheard, and I heard I wrote this down. She said, kind of paraphrasing here because my wife corrected. It's like, not exactly what she said, but this is the same meaning. She said this. She said, when I do leave, I want to be so sad that it hurts. Think about that for a second. She said, I want to be so emotionally invested, even for these three, three months I'm here, that, that. Think about that for a second. See, this is someone who truly understands pain and hurts within the context of godly fellowship. So I still haven't told you the answer of why you crave for a godly fellowship. And the reason is this. In Matthew chapter 18, it says, Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Now, this is a troubling verse for me because I'm like, what are you saying? Are you saying by myself that you won't hang out with me? There's no fellowship with you when I'm by myself? Well, it's obviously not what Jesus is saying because he actually said when you go pray, you go pray by yourself and unseen. So I was asking God, like, God, what is the heart behind this passage? What are you really trying to say? And God, again, took me through the eyes of a father. You know, I remember when I was a kid, when I was younger, I never really asked. My dad never really asked me for anything. I was a good kid. He never asked me to study or go to church. I just did it. But one thing he always asked me, which I'd never comply, was to get along with my sister. I fought with my sister constantly over things that were big to me at the time, but looking back was really petty. You know, my dad was generally help, happy and joyful, but I have never seen him grieve as much as when we fought. You know, it's interesting because when I was a kid, I was more upset that my dad didn't take my side when we fought than the fact that he grieved. Does that make sense? Because I'm obviously right in my fight with my sister. I mean, everyone knows, right? I'm, I'm obviously on the right side, and she's the one messing up. But my dad, instead of taking say, yeah, you're right, justice on this side, he just grieved. I didn't understand that. I was actually kind of mad at him for that. But now, as a father myself of two toddlers who fought all the time, I'm starting to see the picture. You know, when my kids fight, they fall over things that seem so important to them, right? Don't get me wrong. There are times when there's legitimate issue, like if my, if my uh, daughter just punched my son in the face. Okay, so yeah, I'll be, I'll be intervening in that situation. But 99% of the time, it's so petty, you know. It's like, oh, my mate just touched my food. Oh, you know, Gaga just touched my toys. Like, dude, like, get over it. It's not a big deal. Just love each other. Defer to one another. Protect each other. However, I think all the parents out here understand that there's a deep level of grieving in your heart when your kids rip each other apart, right? It's not just me, right? Kids, get that about your parents. You see, at the same time, when I do see my kids defending each other, when they love each other, when they defer to one another, when I see unity, when I see sacrifice, when I see them snuggling together on the couch, watching TV together, you know what, you know what happens? It's like, where's my phone? Where's my phone? Because it never happens. Let me get out of my phone and take a picture. You know, when these moments happen, it's like heaven touching earth. You know, I just want to join them in this. I want to cuddle with them. I want to kiss them. And I want to give them whatever they want. You know, this is what I call the favor of the Father. If my kids will only know how to get whatever they want. And I wonder if God says that to us. 
hey, church, if you only knew, how do you get whatever you ask? First Corinthians chapter 1. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of Lord Jesus Christ, that all you agree with one another in what you say, so there will be no di- division among you, but that you be perfectly unified in mind and thought. I believe Paul is not just talking from his heart, his father's heart for the church, but he's really representing the Heavenly Father's desire. You know, in our church, so often we get so upset our brothers and sisters about things that are so important to us, but so petty to him. But when we gather in unity, in godly fellowship, when we worship together, when we pray with one another, when we encourage one another, when we lay our lives down and we just choose not to be offended, then our Heavenly Father can't help but come down in our midst and He snuggles with us. We experience a level of intimacy with God and not just intimacy, but favor. Just like the favor I want to pour out to my kids when I see such unity in them. God wants to pour out that same favor in us and answer our prayers. This we will not experience on our own. Don't miss out on the favor of God. So in closing, conclusion, I'm going to have one closing. This is God's process. God's fellowship is his way of producing the character and the fruit that he wants in you. You know, I teach a class for Indiana Wesleyan University. I teach an online class. I'm going to do it at home. Um, you know, one thing I noticed, it's really interesting. All the overachievers in the class, in general, all hate one thing. You know what they hate? They hate the group assignments. You guys know what I'm talking about. Some of you guys hate it too. I have to confess, I hate group assignments growing up too. I hate it. You know why? Because you got to work with other people. You got to work with their laziness. You got to work with people who don't do things the way you want to. They all often write me emails and say, you know what? Can I just do this whole presentation myself? And I write back the same thing over again. I say, I am sure you can create a presentation that's better than everything else. That's not the point. The point is that you learn to work in a team, that you work through all the hassle, all the frustrations, all the pains, and learn from it. That's the point. It's the same thing for all of us. All you overachievers out there, all you just people, humans out there, myself included, we are used to learning and growing and doing our own. We made it this far so far, and we think, you know what? We can make the rest ourselves. We're missing the point. The point is that in fellowship, only in fellowship, God will do things in us that cannot be done when we're by ourselves. Don't fight God's way, God's grace, God's gift. Embrace it. Let him finish his work in you. I've got some basic, practical takeaways. I'm a teacher. There's no takeaways. I don't know. I'm not doing my job. So let's go to the last slide. Submit yourself to pursue godly fellowship. Work at a spiritual discipline, okay? Here's some basic ideas, okay? Pay attention to the influences around you. Discern whether those influences are good or bad, okay? If they're bad, take yourself out of it. Don't fight it. Just take yourself out of it. Pursue discipleship. Pursue someone to disciple you. How about you disciple someone else? Work on being an encouragement for other people. You know what? For some people, it's hard to encourage you just don't know the right thing to say, or you say the right thing with the wrong tone of voice, or you say the right thing with the right tone but the wrong time, it takes work. You got to learn. You got to work at it. You got to get better at it. Pursue discipleship. I mean, pursue encouragement. Serve other people in your life group. Join a life group. Go to a life group regularly. Come to church regularly. You know why is it so important that you attend regularly? Because if you want to build a fellowship of trust and covenant, you got to trust each other. How can you trust each other if people are not sure if you're going to show up week to week to week? Does that make sense? 
This is not a control thing. It's not like, hey, are you showing up or not? We're trying to build something here. It takes work. It's a spiritual discipline. Practice sharing life with other people. Practice transparency. Okay, a lot of us are not good at being transparent, sharing. Practice that. Allow other people to be accountable for you. Allow yourself to be accountable for other people. A lot of people need permission. You know what? Some people, if you say to me, hey, Andrew, I need you to keep me accountable for this thing. I see it as a great honor, okay? It's a great honor to do that. But again, without that permission, sometimes it's hard. No one wants to go out of the way to go tell people what to do. That's not the point. The point is we love each other. We give each other permission to keep each other accountable. So let's pray. You know, godly fellowship is a great gift that God has, and we need to take full advantage of that. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for this great gift of fellowship, Laura. It's a ready-made vehicle for us to grow, for us to thrive, for us to come fully alive, for us to use the gifts that you've given us. And, Lord, I just pray we can embrace that fully, Lord. For those of us who don't know how, give us grace. Help us uh, um, find someone, talk to somebody to get to that place, Lord. For those who have been hurt and wounded, heal us from our wounds, Lord, so we can once again get back into the grace of your fellowship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Drew. Good word, good word. Practical word. Before I cut you loose, don't forget we're going to sow into the pro-life efforts uh, today, if you'd be so kind to do that. Also, if you're new here, I really would love to connect with you. Come on into my office. We've got some refreshments, coffee in there. If you need prayer, come on up front. We'll have people that would love to agree with you in prayer. And lastly, marriage class will resume the first week of February, all right? First week of February. Have an amazing week. Love on people this week, all right? God bless you.